This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, does debunking work anymore? Taking some weird conspiracy story and trying to debunk it with your friends. The world of weird things with Greg Fish, we dug into the debunking misinformation and how it's getting harder. Why people believe what they believe and how social media exploits them for profit. On the Millennial on the Radio, Ryan O'Donnell digs into a massive record dropped by one of Canada's biggest indie musicians. It's over nine hours of songs. So is it worth listening to? Ryan also likes long movies, so he'll explain. Are you okay with piercings? How about selling your dog? The good news is we don't talk about piercing your dog. That would be wrong. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird Weird. things with Greg Fish. All right, Fishy's joining us. Worldofweirdthings.com is the uh, website where you can go see the blog. If you go to shiftheads.ca, this particular post is posted up there for you to peruse, link and read. Critical thinking, uh, wild conspiracy theories. They're a million miles apart, Fish. Sometimes it's a razor-thin line. Yes, it is. And so to actually kind of get a sense of where I'm coming from. I want to kind of talk a little bit about the start of World of Weird Things and how I kind of got into this whole uh, into this whole blogging mess. Um, so picture this, beginning of the Great Recession. Uh, yours truly is a little down in his luck, as are most people in my generation at the, at the time. Um, and I've written for a couple magazines before, and I'm thinking, you know what? I should do something more with it. I I know one of the things that's kind of like getting really popular and really interesting is going into kind of, you know, covering like weird science stories and kind of giving the reality check to some of the more wild stuff that's coming out. Um, And this is very popular at the time. And a lot of people read this sort of thing. And it kind of seemed that you could take these, these really ridiculous ideas out there or articles that were completely inaccurate or all these myths that you hear um, on the radio, on TV, you read in magazines and kind of put them in the right context and say, okay, this is actually right, this is wrong, this is a myth, this is a conspiracy theory, and so on and so forth. But fast forward to now, and it seems like the problem is 100 times worse. And not only that, it seems like you can debunk whatever you want, however long you want, it's just going to completely be ignored because it's like it's almost like people don't don't really care what the truth is. And the question then becomes, well, what happened? What are we dealing with? Yeah. Okay. When you take Tucker Carlson off the TV and Don Lemon on the TV, that's got to be better. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm no argument there. And that's part of the – I mean, that is part of the problem. And we'll get around to that, absolutely. Okay. Uh, but <clears throat> I would say that one of the one of the big questions that, that – we need to consider when we're talking about these sorts of things is has debunking ever worked? Mm. You know, is debunking something that Don Lemon said or something that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is. But there was this assumption that, Oh no, it totally does. Like if you debunk something that people will read it and they'll get their facts straight. But Mm -hmm. 
it looks like that's actually not what happened. That's not what's happening. And there's actually a number of studies that started looking into that and said, well, you know what? Sometimes it works, but more often than not, it's pretty ineffective. Like when, when, when you're hitting, when the debunking articles work, it's already people who are questioning. They're already in a state where they don't feel like they know all the facts. They want to see different, uh, they want to see different aspects of things, and they just find that particular, your particular take on it convincing. What's really happening is that thanks to social media, thanks to cable news, thanks to local news that are very much, you know, pro-outrage bait, if it, uh, if it bleeds, it leads, and uh, are really in the business of confirmation bias. They're, they're really in the business of telling people what they want to hear. Now it's, it's more than just you just have this mistaken belief, and if I'm going to give you the facts, then you will set yourself straight. It is very much battling an identity because there's that invitation of building your entire digital life, all everything that you consume around the things that you believe and you want to be true. And it's very profitable to keep you in that bubble. So no one really has any incentive to shake you out of it. And you don't have any incentive to come out of it because you're you're being you're, you're getting what you want. You, you know, your your desire for what you want the truth to be is being heard, and you're being presented with the exact world that you want. So, for example, you know, when you're talking about Dr. Carlson and, and Fox News, it all, in, in the Dominion lawsuit, it basically comes out that, you know, yeah, whether they believe it or not is not relevant. It's what their viewers want to hear. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, confirmation bias is a thing. And what that boils down to is, you know, I have this idea and you're going to make, give me the info to support that. Um, and it would be similar to not necessarily when you debunk it, that's the, you know, hey, here's the accurate information. And I don't think it appeals to people because they're actually not about wanting to be right. They just don't want to be wrong. And so you can't prove them right? Sometimes the appetite to not be wrong is stronger than the appetite to be right. It's very similar to sometimes the appetite to win is not quite as strong as the appetite to not lose. And I feel like that's where the misalignment comes in this conversation, because you can debunk anything you want, but they're not looking for accurate information. They're just looking to not be wrong. And so how do you nail that down? Because that's somebody's insecurity about not being wrong. It has nothing to do with accurate information. And that's exactly the challenge, because just like you said, you tell them, oh, you're wrong about this. That's not what they hear. They hear your existence is a lie and you're a bad person for believing it. That's immediately just where their mind goes. You know, how how can I be wrong? I'm a smart person. I know what I'm talking about. I know I know what I heard. I know what the truth is. And the real answer is that you can't. You can't just kind of come barging in and saying, oh, you're an idiot if you believe this. Well, you should never say that, actually, that because that, that just entrenches the person towards you. Because even if they know they're wrong, now they're going to double down just not to prove you right. Um, you also can come in and say, well, this is wrong, and what you believe is wrong, and this is right. Um, and they're also not – like that's that's also a little bit too harsh for them. What you have to do is you have to make them question on their own. So – Whenever you start talking to people who are really into QAnon and they kind of got uh, got themselves out of it, the mm-hmm. conversion story never is, oh, I read this explainer by this person, 
and they just explained how I was wrong, and I was cured. No, 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 It always begins, well, I saw this, and I saw that, and it started bothering me, and I started doing some more research, and I came to the realization that X, Y, Z, because, it, yes, I was wrong, but I was smart enough to prove that I was right at the end by proving myself wrong. Like, that's kind of like their train of thought. You have to give them the agency, because that's what they're – that's what they're fearing. They're fearing losing that agency over basically uh, making their own worldview. So you have to start asking questions. You have to start asking a lot of questions, and you actually have to listen to their answers and follow up. It's not so much that you're going to come in and you're going to say, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about the other thing? It's more, well, what do you think about X? Okay, fascinating. Expand on that. Okay, well, you brought up this thing, and, and you're having that discussion. You're very much kind of engaging, almost in like kind of like a form of therapy. It's, it's a little bit of like a like cognitive behavioral therapy. You're trying to get them to, you know, pause and think and reflect and really kind of take apart their thoughts. Um, I, I don't and, think and that you're trying to int- support them. I, I continue your thought in a sec. I just, I just, I think that in that particular case, you're trying to expose them to the breakdown. Um, you know, I think that it works. I mean, it's effective, but it's not real positive leadership, Fish, because in that conversation, you're saying to someone, okay, so, well, tell me, where did you learn that? Um, what was the source for that? Um, you know, da, 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 da. And it's, it's kind of a hidden test. It's a bit of a secret test. And eventually they're going to break down. They're going to be like, well, my friend Steve read it on the internet. Oh, well, where'd they get their information from? I don't know. It sounded right. Right. Like you're, you're eventually getting to a point where you're trying to break them down. So they see failure. And while effective, and they might get it, I still think the not being wrong thing is not going to be appeased there. I it, it, but this is the thing: you are allowing them to come to that conclusion themselves. So in the end, you can say, "Well, no, you're right." You know, Steve might not know stuff, but you do. You're smart. What do you think? And and you get them following following that new road and that new train of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the the real issue with that is is that. If you're trying to deal with a public where the trust and understanding of what is true and what is not has broken down, having millions of individual therapy sessions over a period of months is probably not really gonna not really gonna work. You know, this is not something that that's very easily scalable here. So the question becomes: well, Is there is there something more effective? So research says yes, there actually is. Um, so there is a technique called pre-bunking. And pre-bunking is almost exactly what it sounds like. If, you intru- if you're discussing why something is wrong, you explain why it's wrong in the first place. You don't start with the explaining it and kind of offering the defense and giving the thesis on it and then going and disproving it. You're essentially saying, okay, this is a false claim. The reason why this is a false claim is X, Y, Z. And you kind of cast it in that in that light where you're already giving people the, the information for that. So the way that this, so you don't, you're not presenting it as a debate. Like this is, mm-hmm. these are the facts and, and that's all there's to it. And it's easier for people to follow. And this is a part that they understand. Um, the second is to make sure that it to, to never to make it personal. Uh, you don't necessarily want to, you, you don't want to target a specific creator. You don't necessarily want to target um, someone's, exact 
beliefs and uh, exact uh, concerns. Unless, I mean, I would say there's there's some latitude there, but you don't necessarily want to make it personal. Um, and then finally, one of the big issues that you know I bring it up quite a bit, and and a lot of researchers who deal with misinformation, who deal with uh, radicalization, bring this up a lot, where the incentive for mass media, the incentive of social media is to lie to people, is to tell people what they want to hear. And there has to be some way of breaking that incentive down. And so the unfortunate part is this is this is where we get into the area of this is the thing that needs to happen. We don't have all the answers here. Like we, we don't know exactly how to do it. If we did, we would have done it already. But it has to come up with, someone has to come up with a different way to make more money not lying to people and not telling people what they want to hear instead. And if they can do that, if they can break that, if they can break that incentive down, it's just going to be a lot harder to justify a business model where outrage bait and where keeping people paranoid is, is going to be profitable. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? When, um, when you look at it from the perspective of, you know, capitalism is capitalism, but people who lie, like it happens all the time, right? Like you got one guy who's saying my car is the best car for you. And here's the list of reasons why. And then you have another guy selling a car who's like, um, my car is better than that car because here's what's wrong with that car, right? They're not actually talking about their car. We as humans are so pre-wired into negative thinking that we figured it out. And, and it's easier to appeal to the negative than it is the positive. And that doesn't change ethics morality uh in the in the scenario just because it's easier uh fear-mongering is a great example right um you know the headlines clickbait all that stuff if you could die by 6 p.m click here to find out how right and people are like oh my god <laughs> and then in today's world of technology it's reading like your neighborhood or your ip address it's like if you live in uh smith's county you could be dead by 5 30 you need to know why. Click here, right? And then they're making money on that click. It's fear-mongering. And I don't know if you can ever take that out and let, with the exception of, you know, voting with your dollar. But yet, on the other end of that spectrum, we are so complacent and lazy. We're like, meh, not my problem. I know it's fake, but I need one. And, and you know, so you have both ends of the spectrum that probably should behave differently, but we don't. Well, yeah, and uh, there's definitely both both ends of the spectrum there. At the same time, though, I, I, I would like to note that companies like Google, for example, um, they resell a lot of ads, and a lot of those ads go to these click-baked websites, and they're, all they're interested in is getting you to click because that's how they make that money. But at the same time, their advertisers don't like it, but their advertisers are feeling fairly complacent about that as well. So if there's some sort of a standards authority, if there's some sort of a way to enforce that and say, hey, no, don't resell my ads that are, you know, high value ads, because really what it comes down to is, you know, you have a, a fairly reputable advertiser. You know, you say you have Coke, you have Pepsi, you have GNC, and their ads are showing up on these clickbait sites, and those ads are paying top dollar per click. So and and there's a lot of money to be made in distributing them because these are you know top tier very recognizable brands, and they're getting ripped off to the tune of billions of dollars a year. So people will click on those. You could die by 5:30 today if you don't click on this link. Sort of right. deal. Um, 
so that would be that would be one avenue that we may want to explore um because really the 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 point there is not so much that oh you know we need to outlaw lying to people we technically already do like we have laws against fraud but we also can't trample down on 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 free speech because what if there is a disaster and you could die by 5 30 p.m because there's some sort of a massive chemical spill you know some something of that nature so it's it's a very it's very difficult like it's it there's a lot of gray areas there's a lot of questions to be asked but it really does come down to the fact that you have people who are essentially willingly putting themselves and sconcing themselves in these in these conspiracy worlds and just by telling them hey you're wrong you're never going to shake them out so I know that there's a lot of people out there who basically will, you know, go and argue with their relatives until the cows come home that what they believe isn't necessarily true. And look, here are the facts. And they're going to have to switch it up. They're going to have to go with something a little bit more delicate. They're going to have to, you know, think about it as a process, as mm. a challenge. It's not just, you know, here's the facts and I'm right. That they've already stopped listening. They're they're mm. done. You need to start. You need to start working very differently. The distinction to me comes down to a couple of different words: science, which is systematic study; research, which is seeking out information. And science has no real as a hypothesis, but no attachment to an outcome. Research is trying to prove or disprove, right? Educating, learning other people's science and study. And then study is just monitoring it all, right? Like learning from it. And so the, the, those three terms matter so much in this because we'll say, oh, it's science. No, it's not science actually. Um, because that's not science or I researched it. Okay. Well, did you research it or did you study it? Cause research is, there's an active organization to it. Right. And we use those words wrong. And so studying things, and if we're going to think critically, like you're proposing and ask all those questions, we also have to understand what questions we're asking. It's fascinating though. Yep. And we can't, you know, and we can't do things like use the words, this is a, this is a fact, or this is a scientific fact. Maybe it is, but are you using it in the right context as well? So that's, that's just another thing to consider. You know, what is well, the context of what you're, of what you're looking into? Well, then you're going to get into what is a fact, right? And what is accurate and what is the truth? The truth cannot waver. The truth, well, that's a whole other topic. But discussions but if, you need to have. Yeah, absolutely. You need to have. And those, those are the things that matter. A f facts are widely accepted to be accurate and change over time. What is accurate? It interprets all of the information we have with no wavering. And what is the truth? The truth is what happened as best you know it. It cannot waver, right? Like the truth is what happened. Perspective can be, I say the sky is blue. You say the sky is gray because it's cloudy. That can be perspective. But the question is, what is the fact? What color is the sky? Well, the actual answer to that is the sky actually has no color. It appears to be blue because of refraction in the ozone. So when we use proper language, we start to find the answers, and we're just so damn lazy with it all the time. And here we are. You're the best, buddy. Yep. Thank you very much. This is the Shift Podcast. The Millennial on the radio. It's Ryan O'Donnell. Aww. Aww. Ryan.
Ryan O'Donnell's here. It's a me. Remember that time when I left Star Wars on repeat on my <laughs> on my Spotify and it was my number yeah, one song I do of the remember year? That. That's what just happened with Harry Belafonte. Anyway, oh. uh, it's the millennial on the radio. It's Ryan O'Donnell. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. Harry Belafonte is a haunting millennial on the radio. Yeah. That's good. Well, let's get into some music. Did you know that one of the most important voices in indie music is Canadian? He's from, really? he's from Canada. In fact, he's from Edmonton. And his name is Mac DeMarco. Now, you may not have heard of him or his music, but you've heard his influence all over the radio. Mac kind of busted onto the scene in the late 2010s with, uh, you know, he drops an EP, but his first big thing was the album just called Two in 2012. And Mac just really pioneered jangly guitar. And his style of production, his vocals, uh, and the even the songwriting really lead into this sort of hipster a millennial melancholy sort of approach to music. And it is everywhere. There are hundreds of bands that are doing well thanks to this guy's style and his vibe. Here's a here's a good example of what the jangly guitar and sort of the melancholy uh, vibe of, of Mac DeMarco sounds like. This song is off of the second album, Two, and it's called Freaking Out the Neighborhood. Probably heard this album 300 times, honestly. I listen to this album front to back at least twice a month. I adore it. Adore it. And, uh, you know, it's like a modern day kind of Smiths vibe. Honestly, they don't sound anything like the Smiths, but it's just kind of leans into that like, oh, woe is me music fun that, uh, you know, us millennials love. But ever since, uh, you know, his last big album came out in 2017 called This Old Dog, which is a album that he dedicated to basically coming to terms with the fact that his dad had passed away and he never really knew his dad. It's a very, very powerful album. It's not my favorite, but it's probably his best. Ever since then, it's been kind of radio silence for Mac. He hasn't really dropped too much. He put out an album during the pandemic that was okay, and he's put out a couple of singles. But uh, on Friday, you know, DeMarco kind of made amends for his hiatus by dropping an album that you can listen to right now. It's called One Wayne G in honor of Wayne Gretzky. You know, he's from, he's from Edmonton, right? One Wayne G. And uh, this album is nine and a half hours long and Whoa. it's 199 songs. <laughs> it's your kind of album, hey? It's my kind of album. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> It's interesting. So it is 199 songs stretching nine and a half hours. And it's essentially a compilation of unreleased demos, prototype songs, and a couple of finished songs dumped onto this massive collection of music. And uh, it's a lot like when Drake released, uh, it's a mixtape called More Life. 
There's a couple of really good songs on there, but it's pretty bad. But it's got like two or three hits on it. And it was basically just a collection of, hey, this is leftover stuff that didn't make the album. If you want more of my music, here it is for you. That's this, except turned up to a scale that is truly gargantuan. I have started listening to this album all weekend. I've had it on like with Laura and I'm still at only number 73 on there (laughs) out of 199, nine and a half hours of that nine and a half hours, 44 minutes or have vocals. The most of this is instrumentals. And I will say that the vocal performances, the vocal songs are very Mac to Marco. They're very cool. And then we have instrumentals like this one, which I I'm, I'm not, joking when I tell you that the song is literally called Garbage Funk. That's it. It's kind of funky music. And that's the thing. This is like great background music from when you're studying the instrumentals. I actually had this on while I was prepping the show today, just in the background, kind of, you know, putting stuff together. It's chill to listen to. And as a release, I think it's kind of cool. Like you couldn't do this pre-streaming it would just be like this would be a a quintuple Mm -hmm. lp release so this is like one of the interesting things that you can do with streaming what i will be watching for is how people sort of trim this album into playlists like hey here are all the songs that have vocals here are all the songs that kind of fit into this and the names of these songs are literally just the dates that they were recorded the first song is 2018 05 12 the last song on the album is 2023-01-14. A couple of the songs have a, you know, a, a title beside them. But this is just a massive collection of music for his fans. And from what I've listened to, yeah, there's nothing offensively bad on it. It's just kind of groovy. And it's one of the cool things that streaming can kind of you know bring to the music industry. And hey, none of this was made by an AI, so that's nice. That is a start. Is that the standard we're going for, though? Not offensively terrible. Like, is that is that the standard we've come to with putting out music these days? Good question. I think there's a really good way to address this, though, and that is that uh, uh, I feel like artists, especially post COVID, have a massive amount of pressure on them to drop amazing albums. And you know, we've had all this time. You haven't been touring. Where's the next hit album? While people were listening to their older stuff religiously and so i feel like artists like mac and frank ocean that's another example are putting a lot of time into their main projects but also don't want to leave people hanging so they just release this kind of unoffensive stuff where you will find a couple of great tracks here and there and even one of the hardest music critics on the internet uh anthony fantano a guy i have been watching since i was in grade 10 he who like has ripped on Max and Marco in the past said, Hey, this is like kind of fun. This is cool. There's nothing wrong really? with this. It's just some groovy tunes. And I think you should check it out again. The album's called one Wayne G in honor of Wayne Gretzky, the Edmonton, uh, you know, local, uh, Mac to Marco. And, uh, you know, it's going to take probably about a year for me to listen to this entire album. Oh, but so far, I have faith in you, buddy. I think I can do it so far. Yeah. I've, I've found a couple of songs I do like. No. I think you. I think you'll have it done by Thursday. I think you're good. This is your jam. We'll like see. if anybody can take on a movie that is way too long, it's you. Mm-hmm. So I think you it can is do me. this. It is How many me. tracks are on the, this thing, by the way? 199. It's funny that like he must have had 200, but he's like, it's Wayne Gretzky. I should leave wow. at least 199 in there. 
Well, I feel like he kind of like went to 125. He was like, oh, damn it. That would have been a good idea. Well, I'm not throwing away all this stuff now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right. it's another thing worth noting is the track length because there are songs on here that are a minute, a minute 52. For example, that Garbage Funk song, that one was only just over a minute. There is one 22-minute track on this album and then like oh, one eight-minute one. So there's a lot on here. So if you like his music or you want to check it out, I would not recommend starting with this. I would recommend starting with his album too, and then Salad Days, and then This Old Dog, and then going to this. If you really like Mac DeMarco, you're going to like this. But this is just a growing trend of artists dropping everything they have in their catalog because they can, because streaming allows them to. Whether Mm. that's a good thing or not, I think is up to you to decide. I think there's arguments on both sides. But for me as a consumer of this guy's music in particular, I like it, although I would appreciate a version of the album that's maybe only eight tracks, the ones with the vocals, so I didn't have to try to find, you know, the songs I liked. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot yeah. Of I think that uh, I think you're right when you say that. You know, there are two sides. You know, perspectives of whether it's good or not. Just one side mm-hmm. is probably a lot stronger than the other. <laughs> exactly. There's also a, a hint that this might see a physical release, uh, like actual like purchase the media so like a cd and i don't know if an album like an lp would even be possible but i'd like to see it'd be the biggest box right. it would be a box set bigger than like queen's discography <laughs> so we'll see yeah, definitely we'll the see, same man. magnitude of of him oh yeah know, impact Absolutely. on society yeah okay wild all right uh we got time for one more one more yeah. yep you got it one more let's do it okay uh there are a million cool movies on the way we got new star wars lord of the rings but one movie has captivated fans very unexpectedly of all ages and genders and that is the barbie movie i thought i might stay over tonight why because we're girlfriend boyfriend to do what I'm actually not sure. What are you doing here? I'm coming with you. Did you bring your rollerblades? I literally go nowhere without them. So, uh, yes. that is Ryan Gosling and uh, Margot Robbie playing Barbie and Ken, among many other Barbies and many other Kens. And essentially, this movie is a wild story. Uh, you know, the main Barbie that we have here is expelled from Barbie land for being less than perfect. And, you know, she tries to go to the human world to tr- find true happiness. That's the plot of this movie. But the trailer is wild because it's essentially a parody of 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is probably my favorite film ever made. And this movie seems like it's going to address like, you know, the standards that Barbie made for for women and then kind of the idea that this is only a girl's toy and all of that. And there are some amazing actors in this movie. Will Ferrell, Simu Liu, Michael Sarah's in this movie, Emma Mackey. I mean, the, the cast is fantastic. And it's been through development hell. This movie was announced in 2009. 2009 it has had several different directors it was supposed to it didn't start actually getting developed until 2014 when i graduated high school and multiple directors multiple actors but here we are and guys are interested in this movie there are memes all over the millennial verse on tiktok instagram where this movie is coming out the same day as christopher nolan's oppenheimer movie 
which is hilarious. And people are literally buying tickets to see both movies. But, uh, you know, I think the reaction that you might have expected a few years ago is like, oh, it's only for girls. I'm not going to go. I haven't really seen any reaction to that. The trailer for this movie is funny. It looks beautiful, like costume design, all that. And I'm really interested. I'm going an opening night. Me and the boys are hitting the Barbie movie and Oppenheimer. We're doing it. We're leaning into the meme culture. And I'm very interested to see if this sort of like meme verse that we get online where guys are joking about actually doing something and then go and do it. Kind of like when the Minions movie came out and everybody dressed up in suits to go see it. I feel like this is going to have a similar thing. But unlike the Minions movie, this might actually be a good movie. All right, there you go. Ryan O'Donnell, Millennial on the radio. I just think it's because it's filled with hot people. But hey, whatever. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with... Some fun stories, some silly stories, some serious stories, some cute stories. It is all here. Are you okay with Ryan O'Donnell's in uh, downtown Calgary? I'm Shane Hewitt. I'm Calgary in the north side. John's in downtown Vancouver. Are you okay with piercing your ear? Hmm. Uh, Yes. Laura just got one. A uh, oh, it's got a a conch piercing. It's like kind of like the inner ear. That one's kind of cool. Yeah, it does. And it's like an eight month recovery. Like the wound takes that long. You got to clean it every day for eight months for it to fully heal. Um, And yeah, you know, I don't, uh, I like that ear piercings are kind of becoming like more accepted for everybody, not just like, you know, girls when they're young. Like I've seen a lot of men really rock the look, a lot of cool piercings from just like, you know, your standard ones to like cultural ones. For me, though, I don't think it would work. And I also no. wear my I wear over ear headphones all the time. And I feel like having a piece of metal there would bug me with my music. So it's not for me, but I like that it's becoming more acceptable for everyone. Some people take them out every night before bed because of that exact reason, right? Put your head in the pillow. Yeah. Have you ever had anything pierced? Nope. Not once. Nope. Unless you can count a tattoo, which is thousands upon thousands of micro piercings of ink. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, probably painful, I'm assuming. But there's something about having a needle drive through your flesh, like to the other side. That is a strange feeling. Um, I had my tongue pierced and the pressure release when I had my tongue pierced, um, because they put a like a round clamp on it and hold it so flat, it's like it holds your tongue like so tight and so paper thin that when they poke the needle through it, the there's a sensation there that is, it's a, it's a weird one. I promise you, it's not like a tattoo. It's so okay. I, I not I. This is the first time hearing of this, as you can probably tell from my flabbergastedness. <laughs> so you clearly have not put that tongue piercing in for a very long time. Did you get that like when you were a teenager, or is this nope. like DJ days? Like no, I was twenty. I was probably twenty four. Um, okay, I was yeah. on my way back. I was doing radio in Brockville, 
and I was on my way back to Calgary because I had taken a job in Calgary, and I stopped in Sudbury. This is one of these funny Mel stories, actually, um, uh, of my 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 best uh, my best human Mel. Um, that I was going back driving across the country to go take this new job, and I stopped in Sudbury for a couple of days to party and see some old friends because I worked there. So I, I think it was Barry Down was the road in Sudbury. I went to this uh, this piercing place, and a friend of mine had her tongue pierced, and she's like, you should get yours done. I was like, sure, let's, why not? Let's do it. I was just on a whim thing. And so I went and got my tongue pierced and then drove across the country and went to work at this new radio station with this gigantic post. And the first post they put in is quite big. It takes a little bit of getting used to. And you have to rinse with salt water like X times a day and all these things, right, to keep it clean. And um, it turns out that Mel, even though I hadn't seen her and did not proceed to see her uh, for another 20 years, uh, got her tongue pierced there within a day or something of me getting mine done. Wow. Weird. Yeah. Very and so I weird. did. I didn't keep it very in for very long, though. There are a couple of photos with me with uh, with it around here somewhere. Wild. Pretty sure I had frosted I tips at the time. Guessed. I never would have guessed. You know, I, I know a lot of people that get kind of crazy piercings, leave it in for a couple of months, and then never again. I know a guy who got his clavicle pierced, like That's his collar, does clavicle, sorry, his collarbone. Like uh -huh. he had a piercing on, uh, right above the bone. And I have never seen a human being in more pain than right after that. I think he had it in for a week. He's like, nope, this is the worst decision I've ever made. We were yeah. still in high school. I'm not even sure if it was legal. Yeah, but, I, you know. I doubt that it was legal. Yeah. Um, the it's a, it's a strange one, and I it wasn't for me. Tried it, wasn't for me. Did not keep it in. It was also hard to be on the radio because the way you speak changes a ton, and it also clicks when it hits your teeth. So I'd be on the radio with clickety clack clack clack. So that was yeah. new. It was also hard to say the. I always find, I found that tough. The yeah. <laughs> the yeah. The big old post. Yeah. So yeah. So I did have my ears pierced. Um, I had both my ears pierced and mm -hmm. my left one twice, my right one once, and then kept those in for a while. Got rid of those eventually too. Although I, every now and then to make my kids mad, I'll put, uh, you know, when we're doing Christmas balls in the Christmas tree, mm -hmm. I'll hang the Christmas balls in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Those Excellent. ones, those ones are still there. Tongue one is long gone. So yeah, I'm, I'm okay with, uh, I mean, Ooh. it's just, it's jewelry. I just, I'm not a keen on the cartilage ones and the ones that cause scars and Oof. in your lip and even in the nose makes a dent in your nose and stuff like that. Right. I'm like meh. I don't know. Although I have a friend of mine, um, his name's Mike, Mike Mallon. He's in Banff. He's a bud. So he made a bet with Steve. I, I shared with Steve, my bud who passed away, um, Steve Sharon from Sarnia in Banff. Um, they made a bet. Steve was a big fan of the Leafs. And so this is happening right now. Steve passed away, though. But Mike uh, mm -hmm. promised to honor their bet. And uh, the bet was, is if the Leafs win the cup before the Oilers, the other guy's got to get his belly button pierced. Now, both these guys would have been almost 50 now. <laughs> the, the, the bet was made a long time ago. And, they, uh, and Mike promised to honor that bet. So if the Leafs do win the cup... Um, Mike's going to get, because he's an Oilers fan, Mike's going to get his uh, his belly button pierced. And if the Oilers win, well, then I guess Steve's off the hook. But So there you go. Piercings can be a, a, re pretty, a pretty good bet, right? Respect. Mm -hmm. um, a, a, a interesting debate, though, talking about piercings, has launched online after a dramatic video of an arrest in Arkansas. Police arrested a, a man for piercing ears, piercing his son's ears. Why are you in my house? Why are you in my house? 
tell in the chaos of all that what exactly is happening but is that is that okay is any of that okay now there's a little bit more to the story police there say they were contacted by a springdale school resource officer asking them to do a welfare check they say the resource officer told them the student showed up at a school with a pierced ear in front of other students and a teacher said his dad was drunk and put a, him in a chokehold while he did it. So, Tinytown police say they then went to the boy's home where the father, Jeremy Sherland, admitted to the piercing but refused to allow officers to speak to his son. Now, police tell us they then contacted the Washington County Prosecutor's Office about laws regarding body piercing, branding, and tattooing. Officers later arrested the father for what they say were violations of those laws. Now, Sherland was booked on a handful of charges, including performing body art on a person under 18, endangering the welfare of a minor, and resisting arrest. Okay, um, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, that was from uh, 40, uh, 4029 News, longer version of the arrest video. You can hear a younger voice say, I wanted my ears pierced. Mm-hmm. But even if he wanted his ears pierced, officials say the father may still be charged. The chokehold part, if that was actually a thing, um, yeah, the, the school should call that one in. Yeah, it, it is. It, it That, like, without question. Mm-hmm. But that part has kind of been buried within reporting on the story across many news channels. That yeah. part of the story is kind of getting buried under under the fact that it's a guy getting arrested for piercing his son's ears. Yeah. And so if the chokehold part is legit, then absolutely the school should call the police. Now, here's what the law says, even if the kid wanted his ears to be pierced. Um, police cited a section of Arkansas law saying a person shall not perform body art on a person under 16 years of age, regardless of parental consent. So um, that section of the state law, Chapter 27 of the Arkansas Public Health Codes, exempts piercings that are on the earlobe, though. So you can. <laughs> um, the Washington County Prosecuting Attorney, Matt Durrett, said the statute would still happily apply to the father. So how does that work? Because young kids get their ears pierced all the time. Also, under that statute, it's unlawful to perform body art in any unlicensed unlicensed facility. It can apply depending on facts of the situation. So, I mean, really, in today's world, the 15 bucks, and in most cases, it's free if you buy the earring these days. Free ear piercing if you buy the earring. Yeah. Um. Did I ever tell you what happened with my daughter when she got her ears pierced? I don't think so. No. I think I, I might have. Uh, it's might okay. Have? It's worth it's worth the story. So yeah. uh, my uh, my daughter's mom, uh, ex wife, and my daughter and my mom went to the mall to get the ears pierced of my tiny little daughter. I don't know how old she was, maybe five, maybe four. I don't remember. She wanted to get her ears pierced so bad, and so uh, we all agreed. They went to get the ears pierced. They did the one. She was upset. She cried. They did the second one, and they didn't go in straight. Like, they missed it and come out the back, so they had to do it again, and they tried to get in the same hole. She's crying her eyes out. It's terrible. And then, um, so my mom, as a solution, good grandma, says, we'll go to Dairy Queen. You can get anything you want. Nice. Ice cream. Good grandma move. Yep. 
Yeah. So uh, they walk up to the counter at Dairy Queen, and my mom says to Callie, says, okay, order what you want. And my daughter, uh, f- big pouty lip and still in tears, she said to the lady at the Dairy Queen, can I get a strong bow? <laughs> Which apparently um, we were drinking too much of at the time because my daughter tried to order one to appease her uh, her ear at the Dairy Queen after the ear piercing. So, so as a parent, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. That was one of those ones. Eh. Ear piercing. <laughs> So oh, that's go. amazing. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Are you... Oh, I tell you what. Let's start this one completely out of context. Let's play this first. How much is that dog in the window? The one with the waggly tail. How much is that dog in the window? I do hope that dog is for sale. Are you okay with selling your dog? Can can you do? Can yep. you do that? That's I technically a, bought my dog. It's true. I adopted her at four months old. I gave them some money to for the dog. That's true. That's, I mean, uh, I'm sure there's there's circumstances that you know where you have to sell the dog. Um, but I like I'm I'm trying to put myself in like the shoes. Like I don't own a dog, but I got to spend the entire weekend with Cora, my partner Laura's golden retriever, and I love that dog. Like I that dog could tell I was having a rough day, and it just completely like would not leave my side. You know, like this is like a perfect animal. And if somebody said you got to sell that dog, I would like I'd fight him. I would train to be a boxer to fight him. You know, like that's the kind of defensive, like love for the animal but at the same time you know if if you have to do it like if it's best for the animal like i feel like there's a circumstance where it you kind of have to Mm. Mm -hmm. might be yeah i don't know Mm -hmm. i would agree um what about selling your dog to save your job i mean it happens sometimes you have to move and you're like you know hey can you take fido i have to work now there's an awful lot of covid dogs but we're on the market Right, like because you, you know, people got dogs through COVID and they're like, I love having a dog. And they're like, oh, crap, I have a job. And they have to go back to work. So um, this is interesting. One family uh, was selling their dog to save their job. So the CEO of the company they worked for praised them for their dedication to the job. The CEO of Utah-based digital marketing and technology firm is in hot water for many comments that he has made, in particular comments he made during a virtual town hall earlier in April. The CEO of ClearLink was recorded, because employees do that, Mm -hmm. praising uh, one of the employees of the company for selling the family dog after hearing about the company's return to office policy, accusing dozens of other workers of quietly quitting, and questioned whether single mothers or primary caregivers could really work full-time jobs. Way to go, Bob. He sold his dog. He's so dedicated. 
Internal emails show that as recently as October 2022, the company had assured employees that there were no plans to require workers to come into the office. However, just five months later, Clearlink CEO James Clark notified employees in an email that anyone living within 50 miles of the company's headquarters in Draper, Utah, would be expected to start coming in four days a week starting April 17th. The quick turnaround on the requirement worried many employees, especially those needing to find child care or puppy care in such a short time frame. However, the company said the decision is permanent and not optional. You want to know who's a good employee? Bob. He sold his dog. That is dystopian. That is mm. like, you know, LinkedIn is a thing. You could look for a new job. I would say if your CEO is advocating, hey, maybe sell your dog as as a, as a solution to maybe some issues, you might want to find a less toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Resumes. <laughs> Are you okay with... Writing a resume because your Bob, your boss is a jerk because they want you to sell your dog. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what we're doing. You can just you can use Chat GPT now. Yeah, you can. It'll write your resume for you. It might not be accurate, but it'll write your resume for you. It'll do it. Yeah. Uh, do we have time for one more? We can do one. Do you want to do one more? Yeah, do one more. Don't. Uh, you should do the. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I guess whose computer is taking its sweet time to? Oh, yeah, do the training we're... pets one. Do the training. Oh, pets since one. we're talking about dogs. Yeah. Are you okay with training pets? Oh, who would have thought? Uh, yeah, I didn't have to do any work uh, training Cora. That's Laura did all that and the, and the family. But watching the training is pretty cool. And uh, even today, like we went to Starbucks and got the uh, the puppuccino where they filled the little cup with whipped cream and then, you, you know, for the dogs. And Laura still makes Cora do the same three tricks in order to get permission to have a, you know, a scoop of the, the whipped cream from that cup. And it's the same tricks that she had when she was like a, the size of a loaf of bread. And now she's huge. And it's cool, man. It's very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, some advocates want us to train a uh, surprising animal, and that animal would be the rat. Oh. Now, we just talked about, um, uh, well, we didn't. Uh, so let's talk about rat advocates. Runa is a rat ambassador who is showing off the virtues of rats at three U.S. zoos. Just to be clear, Runa is a rat who is trained to find landmines. That's his job. Uh, Kari in Sarah says Runa shows off her skills to kids in the U.S. So rats are smaller, more compact. Um, they are lighter, so they can get into smaller spaces too. So they might even be able to just sniff a vent and tell if anything in like a cargo bin is um, something illegal, depending on what they're trained to detect. And so rats are easier to, to house, to take, they're, they're a little less expensive to train and take care of. Um, you can have multiple rats go to a, a site where, you know, often with dogs, it's probably one dog being able to patrol. There are a lot of different species, but pangolin are one of the most trafficked animals in the world. So pangolin scale could be something that they could detect. Um, so anything that you can think of that might be trafficked, it could be everything from plants. We get a lot of illegally trafficked plants, reptiles, mammals, birds. So all of those um, different animals that we might be targeting, depending on where they're working in the world, they might be targeting different species. So you would have to train the rats to be able to detect whatever scent you were looking for. Um, okay, that makes sense. And, but here's the thing. 
the cool part about rats is if the rat is sniffing out mines, landmines, and gets it wrong, everyone's going to be like, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to move on. If it's a dog, it's different, right? They're going to be like, oh, no, Fido. Uh, in Africa, uh, drug-sniffing rats are already a thing. Izzy Scott, a behavioral research scientist at the Tanzania-based organization Apopo, which is training the rats to work for government, said she was not surprised to hear that rats have been named enemy number one. But she wants people to know the full picture of the rat. The reason we're using African giant pouch rats is because they're very long-lived. Um, so that means that when we are training them, we're investing all this time and, and effort into training them, they then still have a working lifespan ahead of them. You know, some rodents, some rats have a lifespan of three to four years um, or even shorter, whereas our rats um, in the wild live around seven to eight years. And our oldest retirement rat um, passed away when she was 11. Uh, American... <laughs> I find this whole thing weird. Um, African giant pouched rats have sniffed out more than 150,000 landmines to date. They've also helped health clinics in Africa diagnose people with tuberculosis, detecting bacteria in samples of 25,000 patients. Part of me, though, Ryan, I still feel like they take a bunch of rats to a minefield and they set them free and then... Found one. They're found one. Like when they say giant rat, though, dude, like these are big rats. Like they're like there are chihuahuas that are smaller than these rats. So like mm. they're pretty, and they also don't look like rats. Like they just have different faces. They're kind of they don't freak me out as much as like a New York City style rat. But then again, I don't think I've ever really seen a rat because I live in Alberta and there's no rats here. So mm. I, I just like yeah. I mean, if they can do that, that's cool. No. No, still not no cool. Rats. It's still a rat. No, no rats. No. Ah, rats. No. <laughs> there he is, Ryan O'Donnell. He's here all week. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. season of 911 on a new night Thursday March 14th on Global stream on Stack TV